Good morning. Good morning. You guys uh, just need to have a little special grace for Pastor Jason this morning. You know, his Ole Miss Rebels last night just lost a heartbreaker. If you saw the game, you know what kind of shape he's in. What you don't know is that that poor sap drove all the way to Oxford to watch the game. So he was actually on hand personally when that event went down and they lost in the last minute or so of the game. So just glad you're still here, Jason. Uh, I'm going to further the announcements here for just a second. You know, sometimes I get people who will ask, you know, people new to the church, they'll, they'll come ask, hey, what do, what do you guys do for discipleship? Um, sometimes they ask that right after church service, and it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. It's like, well, we just did this. That's part of it. But uh, there is a thought sometimes that, you know, dis- discipleship program for Lakeview Christian Center, what, what's that look like? Like there's a class that you sign up for. There's this one class. It's called discipleship. And if you come to this, it starts and it covers this, and, and, and you'll be officially a disciple if you attend that course. Uh, listen, discipleship is about answering the call to the Great Commission to go into the world and make disciples. And going into the world has a feature component to it, sharing something with those that go, and then furthering the purpose of God in their life. All that is disciple-making. And so what's really exciting about what God's doing around here lately and has been doing is giving us opportunities to do that. And, you know, part of my thank you this morning would be thanks for all the people who worked to make our fall fest just a great time to be together on Friday night. It's a lot of man hours going to that. Thank you, all of you guys. Everything from cooking to set up to blessing kids and preparing just for, just we had a great crowd of folks. And if you noticed when you were there, for those of you who were there, you you probably noticed a lot of faces that you're not used to seeing. And that's because God is bringing more and more folks into our midst. God's adding to us. And, and that's very exciting, but it's also a sober responsibility because it means that we've got opportunities to serve people and to help in the process of discipleship. Now, what you may not be aware of, if you were, regardless of that event, uh, Tuesday night, our beta group, which is our follow-up discipleship class to the Alpha program, uh, had about 85 people in it. So coming out of Alpha, yeah, people who are interested in discipleship are part of this next chapter of growing in their understanding of what God's called them to as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, it's exciting to have 85 people there, but, but this is another sobering reality. Someone needs to sit with those folks, take them by the hand, and lead them forward in the purpose of God. And that, that's, that can't happen. That, that program can't function well with a guy with a microphone trying to lead 85 people. All right, th- this meeting works fine for that. It's a teaching meeting. We're going to preach the word this morning. But that discipleship program is about caring for people who need to recover from a fallen world, grow in their knowledge of God, and become disciple makers themselves. And that takes other Christians you don't have to have some massive degree or, or some letters behind your name. You just need to love Jesus and love people. And so look at your involvement in disciple making. If you're looking for an opportunity, this is an easy opportunity 
the gathering is there. People are there. You just got to come and, and just share with them what Christ has done in your life and walk through the weeks with them and build some relationship to care for them. So that's happening on Tuesday nights. If you need more information about that, you come see me. Uh, you can come ask for some information at the Welcome Center. You can find Frank, who might be available after the service as well. But we, we need some folks to help us with making disciples. All right, one more opportunity for disciple-making is happening here uh, tomorrow night. Uh, the sit-down with the saints is, you know, for the, for the city of New Orleans, anything having to do with the saints is just time to scream, holler, wear black and gold, be nuts, etc. cetera. Uh, but for us, it's, it's an opportunity to use a bridge into people's lives. And so this is why I put this in the category of disciple making. If you can't get around people, you can't disciple them. You can't make disciples because you can't share the gospel with them because you can't get them to sit still and listen to anything you've got to say. So part of what we do as Christians is figure out ways to build bridges into people's lives. Uh, Monday night is a bridge into people's lives. It is taking what the people in this city already love and introducing them to the one that we love the most. And so on Monday night, you have a chance to do that. But you only have a chance to do that if you invite someone to experience what's going to happen here. And it's an easy invitation, right? Because you know Saints fans. You live with them. uh, You're related to them. You work with them. Uh, Typically on Monday, you guys are doing a game day review anyway, right? So tomorrow when you're around the, the cooler or having lunch with somebody, do the game day review by inviting them to come tomorrow night and be here at 6.30. It's going to do a couple things for you. One, it's going to give those guys an opportunity to hear the gospel uh, because that's what the players are going to ultimately end up sharing is the gospel and the impact of Christ in their own lives. So it'll give you a chance to introduce the gospel to them. And then for you on Tuesday to say, hey, man, what did you think about what Ben Watson shared last night? And now you have an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with somebody. And listen, we know that's not always easy to create. But that's why we do stuff like this, to create it for you. So that you can have a conversation with someone about the gospel after you've invited them to an event like this. So that's, that's happening tomorrow night. You guys know people who will, will fill this place tomorrow night. You guys have cousins and you have relatives with kids. Invite them. Get on the phone today and say, hey, you know, I know Timmy would love to come to this. The Saints players are going to be there. They're going to get a chance to meet them and sign an autograph and just hear some things about their lives and football. Um, All right, so that's what you're doing tomorrow night. But what you're doing today with those little cards is you're writing down a a great question for these guys. This is not a stump the players question, but they want to speak in three categories, and they want some good questions that they're going to interact with to do that. It's a panel night, so they're going to have the guys sitting up here on the panel. Um, so you're going to have, have Ben Watson, uh, you have Jarius Bird, the strong safety for the Saints, uh, and you'll have Luke McCowan, the backup quarterback for the Saints, will be here sharing their story of football, faith, and family. All right, so those are the three categories. So if you guys got a question for those guys right now, write it down real quick, and I'm going to have you pass it to the middle of the church. So wherever you guys are, just pass it to the middle. And Pete, we got some guys who will collect that. All right, so do that quick. And while you're doing that, you can, the rest of you can be trying to find Lamentations chapter five. That's a book we hear a lot from, huh? Lamentations. That's where we're gonna be. 
you're looking for lamentation, it's right after the prophet Jeremiah, right before the prophet Ezekiel. Everybody got your questions done? Go ahead and pass those over. You guys have to come back tomorrow night and see what kind of answer they have for these questions. Well, this morning, we are taking our time this morning in the Word to join uh, churches around the country and around the world who have dedicated this morning to what we are calling and what they have called actually uh, Orphan Sunday. And our emphasis is not only this morning on the crisis, the opportunity that exists for care for orphans. And and when we say orphans, we don't just mean orphans who are classically involved in an orphan home somewhere in another part of the world. There are lots of children who fit the description of orphan right here in our community. And if you've stopped by the, the In His Hands booth this morning, if you looked in your bulletin, there's a handout about opportunities for us to serve locally here in orphan care. And you're going to hear more about that. I'm going to preach this morning in this topic, and then we're going to have the opportunity throughout the month of November, because the month of November is National Adoption Month. And there are opportunities for families to adopt children who are in this condition. And we're going to hear uh, from our very own Brian and Terry Roboski, who are serving faithfully and effectively in this category in our city through In His Hands ministry. You'll hear from them this month. We're also going to hear from Dean Adamak will be in town and will share with us about orphan care taking place in Mexico. But let me just, let me just warn you where I'm going to land here by the time we're, we're done with this passage is for you to consider and for you not to consider others in this category, but for you to consider yourself, whether or not God might be calling you to do something that you might think of as extremely radical. And therefore, it's only for those unique, radical Christians. Listen, Christians are in a world that needs radical involvement with it. The conditions are so bad, the need of humanity is so great that if you and I would prefer to live a life that's safe, then Jesus just take us to heaven now. Because there's no mission available for you if you want to be a safe Christian. Those two terms don't belong together. Christianity is risky. Some of us consider it a great risk, although it's not that great a risk, to figure out how to invite somebody to an event tomorrow night. That's a great risk. It's risky. I'm going to ask somebody, and they may not be interested in Christ. And Yeah, that's, that's part of the territory. But there are much greater risks in the Christian life. Peter just described giving up 10% of your money. There's some here this morning who find that way too risky. I'm not doing that. It's way too risky. I don't know how to live on 90%. Can't do that. Uh, 
Listen, if you're having a problem in those two categories, what I'm going to suggest to us today is you might as well leave now. You want to think about adopting someone into your family? You want to think about being a foster care parent? You want to think about sacrificing for the sake of the global crisis of orphans? But, but this is Christianity. And when it becomes something less than that, it gives away what we understand about what we've received. And I'm going to try and cover that this morning. Because we're going to talk about orphans. And I know, you know, this is middle America. I'm staring out at middle America right here for the most part. Orphans is a topic far, far, far away from us, isn't it? Any orphans in your neighborhood? This is a topic we don't, we don't necessarily know a lot about. But theologically, we know a lot about it. Because theologically, this is a room full of orphans. But maybe that we just don't get that in such a way that we look at other orphans with a sense of awareness of their need and what their life feels like to be an orphan. And so I've titled this Identifying with Orphans. I'm trusting that here in Lamentations, we're going to get some help with that. Now, Lamentations is an interesting book. If you don't know what that book's about, Lamentations is a book that follows a crisis in the city of Jerusalem. The crisis begins much earlier, but it reaches its climax in 587 BC when a man named Nebuchadnezzar, who represents the bully on the block, Nebuchadnezzar is nothing but trouble. He's trouble for everybody. He runs the empire of Babylon, and this is an empire, and don't lose this, fact, because there are empires today. I want you to connect it. There are empires today that are led by sinful human beings. They just don't bear the same title. And they plague humanity with much of what gets plagued here. Jerusalem is a city that comes under the plague of Babylon taking over the world and imposing itself in its ways, mercilessly imposing itself in its ways, on the city of Jerusalem. So by the time Lamentations gets written in 586 BC, things are dire in the city. Jerusalem, which once was the crown jewel of God's people, uh, they are in desperate measure. And if you read the whole of Lamentations, uh, it is, it's a staggering presentation. If you read ch- chapter four just before this, which I'm not even going to read all of it, it's, it's rated R. You get some, some of you guys realize that the Bible says some things and describes some things that are worse than what you could see in a movie? I don't read chapter 4 to you, but here's just a glimpse. The desperation in the city says, Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel. Like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps, for the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment. No hands were wrung for her. 
Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coal. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. If you walked into the city of Jerusalem during the time in which Lamentations was being written, it would resemble a European city in World War II. You know those images that you have of just piles of rocks one upon another where buildings used to stand and you'd walk down cities and, and even though I'm sure that thing was filmed in color, it's black and white. You know what I'm talking about? You see the images of this, everything is gray and people are desperate and they just wander through the city trying to figure out how do we, how do, we do life? Okay, listen, that's Jerusalem 586. But what's interesting is I think Jerusalem just represents the city of man. This is, this is what man is capable of. This is what humanity is like. And though that's a long, long time ago, we can just visit the last century and find those settings. We can find Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany visiting this kind of plague upon people. Joseph Stalin in communist Russia. Pol Pot and his leadership of the government in Cambodia, which destroyed estimated 3 million out of 8 million people were destroyed by this man. Just the, these are holocausts that happen all over the place. This is what's in the human heart, Oprah. Some of you say, why did you mention Oprah? Well, because Oprah is a program that just manages to see the good in the human heart. Well, close both eyes. Because if you look around at the human heart, it's destructive. It wants what it wants at the expense of someone else. And whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Hitler, or whether it's the drug lords of Mexico, and trafficking and visiting people with misery, or whether it's any city today where you gather people together in Amsterdam or Hong Kong or London or New York, it is people who have lost their way. They have lost their creator. They have lost the source of their life. They have lost their father in this world. They are desperate orphans who are creating orphans. And so what you have in this passage here is the creation of orphans and a description of life here that I hope will help bring to life what an orphan's life is like. Look in Lamentations 5, verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. Lord, would you help us as we gaze into a vast need in this world? to be moved with fresh awareness of the opportunity for care and love and affection 
and the impartation of the God who seeks to rescue such in need. Lord, make us freshly aware this morning of what lies before us in this world. Deliver us, Lord, from the small worlds that we so easily live in. And Lord, give us grace to be motivated toward these needs in the ways in which you're calling us to do that. So Lord, help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go through the whole chapter here, but I just want to draw our attention to that verse, verse 3. We have become orphans, right? This is the cry of those in Jerusalem at this moment. So I think there's a dual application for the city of Jerusalem. Everybody in that city, in one way, could identify with being an orphan. Everybody. Because they had been a nation fathered by God. They had been a nation under God's care. They had been a nation under God's privilege. Right? And you guys recognize when you live with your father, your father treats you different than he treats everybody else. Right? He's your father. He takes responsibility for you, brings provision to you, brings care, protection for you. But Jerusalem has lived disobedient, disregarding God, blowing God off. And so, so God has withdrawn his fatherhood from them. And all of this has come in as a result. So Nebuchadnezzar and all of Babylon have come flooding into Jerusalem because the fatherness of God is no longer being experienced, right? And they're going to go off into exile and somebody else, they're going to live in a foreign land. It's a really bad foster care moment for them going to go into Babylon and live there now. You're not going to live at home with father anymore. But, and I'm not going to go off into this, but this, this is for a couple of hundred years of neglect and blowing God off. I want to come back to that in a moment because their neglect and blowing off God creates orphans. So I don't want us to miss this point. I'll come back to it later. But Everybody in Jerusalem could identify with being an orphan. But there were specific people who there were wandering the streets. They were, they were orphans. They were children living in this city, experiencing this type of life. And what would it be like for you or I, regardless of whatever our background is, wherever we've come from, to have this as our identity? What would it be like for you to sit here this morning and say, we are orphans? I, I am an orphan. I have very few of us here who know what it is to have that identity frame how you look at your life, what you think about tomorrow and the future, and, and what kind of hope do you have in your heart when you wear the label, I'm an orphan. I've got no family. I've got no one to look to. I don't belong to anyone. I don't have anybody looking out for me. I'm an orphan. That's, that's who I am. So that's, a, that's a hard label. But let's look into this chapter here and get a sense of what does an orphan's life feel like? I think this whole chapter is helpful to describe that. Go back to verse 1 and we'll read through all it. Verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. All right, this is, this is an orphan's life. 
consider what has befallen us. And this is, this is true for all of us in one sense. We all live in a world that's fallen. We all inherit the fall. We all receive a fallen world into our life. That's true of everybody here this morning. And now what's interesting, and this is interesting to have some compassion towards those who may be living in such need, is there, there is, there's sin rampant out there, right? This is, this is a fallen, sin-soaked world. But that, that sin out there, when it reaches inside and it touches the sin in here, right? Because everybody recognizes there's sin in here too, right? You just can't blame what's going on out there. That sin out there reaches in and touches the sin in here, and, and it creates a very bad relationship. So, you know, when you look into, don't just, don't just think uh, little orphans in a, in a home somewhere. Think about the environments that generate orphans. Think about the types of things that are happening that cause parents to no longer be parents that cause them to reject their children or or they can't provide for their children or circumstances have become such that they can't engage and lead and care for their children. Okay, whatever sin is in that element reaches in and touches the sin that's in a child. You know, let a child grow up with a sense of, of disconnection, lack of care, being neglected, and next thing you know, there's, there's anger in that child. There's frustration in that child. There's resentment in that child. Listen, if you, if you want to look and see why is our culture the way it is, well, this would be the roots of quite a bit of what you watch in the news at night. It is the sin out there that reached in and touched the sin in here. And then children grew up with not knowing how to press the reset button in their own hearts. They become angry and they, they lash out and they hurt other people and they perpetuate this sin one upon another. It's interesting that we read down verse seven. I'm going to skip around in this passage a bit. In verse seven, it says, our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities. That's an interesting statement. We have received this. This has befallen us. This is what's come upon us as children as a result of the sins of our fathers. Our fathers sinned and they are no more. And we bear their iniquities. We live in the fallout of what our fathers have done. See, sin out there touches sin in here and creates orphans. Now, now listen. You know, I know the Bible often is speaking to men more than it is speaking to women. Uh, in this category, you know, like, like most, but in our modern cultural setting, I think it, it plays out that way, doesn't it? I think when you look at fatherlessness, uh, that it's more the plague than anything else in our culture. Uh, not so much motherlessness, but fatherlessness. And listen, there, there's, there's enough sin to go around for everybody, whether you're a father or a mother. There's plenty of sin in this category. But if you do some homework on the statistics, the fatherlessness impact in a culture is staggering. The sins of fathers visited on children because they have chosen to pursue a life of sin at the expense of children, and thus they have created orphans who are left to, to fend for themselves. 
and fight for themselves. And they end up with this other label upon them. Look and see, verse 1. Look and see our disgrace. If you engage, and I hope you will, and I hope you'll pray about this. You engage the world of orphans. You will engage children who hide behind a smile, a sense of disgrace in their lives. They feel unwanted. That's what life has communicated to them. They, they are not wanted. They are unimportant. No one felt it worthwhile to be inconvenienced by me, to sacrifice for me, to afford to provide for me at their own cost. I, I'm not important. They feel unloved. They feel dirty. They are associated with society's ills. They feel to blame for their circumstances. Some, somehow they are to blame. So there is this sense in children who grow up in such a setting of a built-in disgrace. I think this chapter nails it when it looks to a, what does an orphan feel like? What's an orphan's life? What well, feels like something that's befallen me and it feels disgraceful. I don't feel like I have honor as an orphan. In verse two, there is a sense of loss of inheritance and the reality of homelessness for an orphan. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our home to foreigners. If you're an orphan, you've got no one going ahead of you. You've got no sense of inheritance. You've got no sense of mom and dad worked all these years and and to provide for us, and they, and they lived a life to give us some advantage all along the way, and, and then they're going to leave something to us as well, whatever it is. It's a sense of their life was invested in something, and they want me as a son or daughter to be the recipient of that. An orphan doesn't know anything about that. An orphan doesn't know anything of being the recipient of their parents' labors, sacrifice, and care. An orphan doesn't know something of a home. Well, there's a lot to be said about a home, right? I mean, if you guys, you guys, you think about your home as an orphan, you think about your home as a human being. I mean, you know, homes aren't the most perfect places, are they? Right? Mine isn't, right? We've, we've got nine people living in my home, so we've got lots of sin in here and lots of sin out there. It's kind of an interesting mix, but home is home though. Even with all of its challenges, it's that place where you know I belong here. The people here might be impatient with me. The people here, we might not say the nicest things to each other all the time, but you know what? They got my back. They're here for me. Okay, an orphan is described this way. Our homes have gone to foreigners. They're a foreigner in their own home. They now live somewhere else in something that doesn't feel like home. Several of the verses in this chapter highlight that provision becomes an extra burdensome and filled with unpredictable elements. Verse four, we who have become orphans, verse four, we must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must 
be bought. You know, in Jerusalem, they, they would have had plenty of water. They had their own wood. But now, now that we're orphans, even the water we've got to pay for. Everything becomes more difficult. Just the wood that we burn over our stove to cook something. We've got to pay for that too. Everything has become harder. We just can't go out and gather and provide for ourselves. That's what this exiled siege condition had brought to them. Look in verse 6. We've given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria and to get bread enough. We reach out to others to feed us. This, this is a welfare line. This is people who can't meet their own daily need for food. And they have to reach out to foreigners with the hope that those foreigners will give them a break. Egyptians and Assyrians, by the way, which both used to be enemies of God's people. Now they're begging for food from them. Verse 10, our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Verse 13, young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. Right? This is the life of an orphan. This is the life of someone who doesn't have care being given to him, who doesn't have provision in his life. Every part of provision becomes harder. And children do things besides ride their bikes and just laugh in the afternoon. They live to provide for themselves. Life is exceedingly threatening. Look in verse 5. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. Verse 9. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Listen. Listen, there are there are features in our own community where you know what we see is crime, what we see is crime upon crime. But you have orphans who, who enter the drug world because it's a means of provision. You have that in our own city. Kids are growing up in a setting where provision is scarce and questionable and fearful. So they put their lives on the line and enter into the fray of the drug world where real live bullets are being shot. And they are in danger like this of the sword for the sake of bread hear that from Dean as he interacts with children in Mexico who have the option to join a drug cartel at a very early age. And it becomes a means of provision for them because they don't have dependable provision. So they put their lives at risk in order to do that. Verse 11, women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Right, this, this, this is the threat. This is what Nebuchadnezzar created. This is what Babylon imposing itself on Jerusalem created. But, you know, these conditions, it's easy for us to say, hey, you know, big, bad Nebuchadnezzar dictator, military overthrow. Listen, today we, we don't have, and most of the world actually doesn't have a Nebuchadnezzar that's creating these conditions. 
at least Nebuchadnezzar is not some guy. Nebuchadnezzar is sinful choices. Nebuchadnezzar is the way of life of people. The Nebuchadnezzars of today, they're in our country, they're in our cities, they're all over the world. Um, Our promiscuity, divorce, drug and alcohol abuse are creating orphans all over the world. And similar, it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar shows up in Jerusalem into the people of God's city after they have been neglecting the wisdom of God for a couple of hundred years. And in comes the orphan maker named Nebuchadnezzar. And he gives us Lamentations chapter 5. Listen, you and I are living in a culture and we're living in a world that has neglected, blown off the wisdom of God. And the orphan makers are promiscuity. And I'm not an orphan specialist, so I could be missing something here. But I don't know of too many situations that could exceed how promiscuity, divorce, and drugs and alcohol are contributing to the orphan problem in this world. They have visited a plague upon this world. And isn't it interesting that God speaks into all three of those categories of life? God's got something to say in all these categories. So listen, this is where we're, this is where we're just biblically ignorant and culturally morons. We look at what's being debated. You know, you guys watching all the debates in the, in the land of politics, looking at all this stuff, right? Um, there are policies that won't touch those things, will they? But we want to fix the child care problem in this country. Listen, you keep ignoring what God's got to say in the area of promiscuity, divorce, and drugs and alcohol, and you've signed up for Nebuchadnezzar to come visit your country. It's foolish to think that we can fix these things while we ignore God. Ain't nobody addressing that. I haven't heard any politicians coming on talking about any of those issues. We're going to fix the problem some other way. Well, listen, you ignore what God says, and you will have a problem that you cannot fix. And that's what we have in our country. It's what we have all over the world. I don't know. This has become more public, more clear to us, but the human trafficking dilemma today. I never heard of human trafficking growing up. I'm sure it was there. I'm sure all these, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. But not like today. Right? And what, you know, what fuels all this? Well, you know, sexual immorality is an amazing juggernaut for sin. Because when you look all over the world, you look at human trafficking, it is drug related, it is sex related, and it's very few other things. Right, last time I checked, you know, the car industry in America wasn't going trying to get people from all over the world, kidnap them and bring them to America. Right? It's it's the sex trade that drives this. I've been reading a book recently, which I highly recommend this book. I may get some copies, put it in the bookstore. It's a book called Dispatches from the Front. If you want a great read, this is a great read. It's by a guy named Tim Keese. He's a, a missionary. 
Uh, he is writing as a journalist, and then I recommend it for anybody to read because it's written like a story from a journalist. It's literally the travels of this man, Tim Keyes, all over the world, and to report back on what he sees on missionary fronts uh, all over the world, what God's doing in different places. Part of the reason why I started looking at this book was to make sure I wasn't getting an American definition for God. Because God is doing things in other parts of the world that he's not doing here. And I think the future of what God's doing here may start looking more and more like Europe than it does like what we've been familiar with. And if you're not careful, you'll start thinking, well, God doesn't do. God doesn't do. Oh, no, no, no. God does. You're just going to need to go look and see where he's doing it. This is a great book. So if you want to read, but that's just a couple of thoughts from it in this category of human trafficking. Tim writes, in parts of the region, he's in Southeast Asia when he's writing this, war has claimed more than 7 million lives in the past generation. But the problems are much deeper than old wars and dead dictators. Drug lords and slave traders are the new masters of misery. Girls and boys are being sold to sex traffickers for as little as $20. $20. They are throwaway kids, abused, addicted, and often dead from AIDS before they can even grow up. Later on, as he traveled in Southeast Asia, he wrote, took Highway 3 from Bangkok to Trat this morning and then skirted along the Gulf of Thailand to cross into Cambodia, crossed the border at Cham Yim, a notorious crossing used mostly by smugglers and addicts, a casino and a string of tawdry hotels sit alongside the border station, making it convenient for sex traffickers, drug addicts, and pedophiles that come here on, quote, business trips. I met with a Filipino couple, Noe and Grace. Noe pastors a church here, and they run a children's home to the south. But mostly, they act as the hands of Jesus, picking up throwaway kids from the streets and dumps, loving those with AIDS and reaching those snared and stained by the sex trade. Noe and Grace pour their lives into the lives of these children. Some of them live in the church house. They're just kids who, like most kids, like to laugh, sing, play games, and eat sweets. But these little ones also have enormous problems. Many of them get only two meals a day at home. Some have AIDS. One girl has been sent by her mother to sell herself in the red light district. Koong, as in much of Cambodia, is notorious for child prostitutes and trafficking in young girls. Along dark, muddy roads, red fluorescent lights were strung up in front of shabby, I'm sorry, Shabby bars where girls, some of them no more than children, sit waiting and calling out for customers. These girls become the prey of pedophiles because their parents need the money to feed hungry mouths at home. Here, life is cheaper than a meal. Only the gospel can heal such sick sin. This is what the Ignoring of promiscuity and lust and drugs have done for us. 
find in Lamentations, this orphan condition loses the joy and sweetness of life. Verse 14, the old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Verse 17, for this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. See, when when that becomes, you want to understand the perpetuating of crime upon crime and sin upon sin in our world. When you have grown up with this in your heart, a hopelessness, a lack of joy, the sweetness of life is gone. No sense of anybody going before you, providing for you, being aware of your need and that you matter to them. Then it becomes much easier to just to become angry and frustrated and self-preserving in your actions. The feeling, this is what an orphan feels like, verse 20. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? This, this, is, this is what an orphan feels like toward God. God, where are you? Because I know everybody can feel that way at times. But when you extract out what is provided through a family and you're left with a feeling of, God, why? Where, where, where are you? God, are you, are you nowhere to be found? Do you even exist? Do I even matter to you? But, but we know better, right? We know something in verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all Generation. See, we know something. This is where the people of God know something in the midst of this setting. In the midst of people who feel like, where's God? You and I have a gospel story of a God who put on human flesh and came to rescue those whose perspective was, who are you, God, and where are you anyway? Do you even care? The indictment of voices against God were the very people God came to and in his mercy sent his son to them. We know something that the world needs to know. We know something that orphans need to know. You you are not abandoned. The price that had to be paid ultimately for your life has been paid. Listen listen to this verse because this is our good news more than any other news that we have. Verse 21. Here's the cry of their hearts. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Restore us to yourself, O God, that we may be restored. That's an interesting phrase right there because all hell has broken loose in Jerusalem. 
This is a horrible environment. If you go back and read the R-rated rest of the movie in Lamentations, you're going to find some horrific turn-your-stomach scenes in Jerusalem. It'd be easy to create a catalog of lists of needs that these people have. God, show up. But this verse educates us about something that's their need and something that's our need. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. What is it that fixes the brokenness of our lives, whether you're an orphan or whether you're some other struggling person? What is it that fixes us? What's, what's the answer ultimately that fixes Jerusalem in its day of being an orphan? Restore us to you, O oh Lord, that we might be restored, that the reset button in me might get fixed and pressed and my life in all of its condition might be restored. God, restore me to you. There is no trading. There is no substitute for the person of God himself in our lives. For the one who created us. For the one who is our father. Now, theologically, we know something about that orphanhood. Everybody here knows something about that orphanhood. To be alienated from God. That described every one of us, right? That's who all of us are spiritually. We are alienated from God. Strangers to our Father. Everything that described an orphan in Lamentations chapter 5 described us. Theologically, that was the realm in which we lived. But something happened to us. And there's many things that describe what happened when you and I became Christians. But you know, one of the terms that's used, I want to say predominantly, but it's used quite a bit in the New Testament, is that we were adopted. We know something about adoption. If you're a Christian, you have to know something about adoption because you weren't always a child of God. Matter of fact, you came from the worst family on the planet. Sorry, it's just true about you. Your ancient relative named Adam is who we're all related to. You know, the Bible says something really kind of mind-blowing because, you know, again, you know, if you watch too much Oprah, everybody's beautiful in their own way. Don't know why Nebuchadnezzar did what he did. Can you figure that out if he's beautiful in his own way? Well, we do what we do because the Bible describes us spiritually as related to the devil. Did you know that? I know that's kind of freaky to hear if you've never heard anybody say that. If you're hearing it for the 10th time, you're okay with it. But right now, some of you are going, why did I come here this morning? <laughs> this dude thinks we're related to the devil. Well, the Bible says that. It says you are of your father, the devil. That's why you do what you do. He was a liar from the beginning and you're a liar too. Get the same gene pool running around inside of you as he does. 
And so that's the family that we were a part of when God reached into the mess of our world and adopted us into his. We know something about adoption, right? You got to love these verses. Romans chapter 8, there's so much good news in here. Romans 8 verse 12, so then brothers, right? We can all call each other family members, right? Because we belong to the family of God. Brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, well, you will live. This is some incredibly good news. That those impulses that are in us, those desires and cravings and tendencies towards sin gets dealt with by becoming a member of the household of God. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as Sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, do you, do you hear? This, this, is, this is the effect of the gospel in our lives. This is what the good news is good news about. Because if we understood our orphaned condition before, all of a sudden now, remember, everything in Lamentations gets turned upside down. Everything that was described in Lamentations doesn't describe somebody who's in the household of God and known as a child of God and has the spirit of adoption in them, crying out, Father, I'm not fatherless in this world. I belong to him. He's my father. The spirit cries out in our heart and says that we are children of God. We're just not unwanted children wandering the streets of this world. We're children of God. We're part of his family. And if we're children, then we're heirs. Oh, that day of our inheritance belongs to foreigners. That day of homelessness described in Lamentations is over. We're heirs. My father has got some, he's got some stuff. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, little orphan Annie, I guess, you know, just adopted by the ultimate daddy Warbucks. All of a sudden you who are in poverty in every way, when you looked into the future, you saw no one going before you. Now you see one who has gone before you. You saw no one's labor that you would ever inherit. Now, the most important inheritance in your life is what was labored for by Jesus Christ on your behalf. And he gives it to you as an inheritance. Listen, you and I don't sit in this life. It's sad. Some of us as Christians have lost sight of this, but we don't sit in this world like orphans. Alone, disconnected, no affection from a father, no provision in our lives, threatened by everyone around us because we're unprotected in this world, right? right? The gospel turns all that stuff upside down. It says that no longer describes you. Romans 8 verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, right? So there's a sense in which part of what's going to be in our lives is yet to come. There is a receiving of the inheritance. There's the actual seeing the Father face to face. So you and I never live as orphans who've got nothing waiting for us. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave no longer an orphan, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, I, you know, mm, this is one of those truths that we've read. We've read it a hundred times. But, you know, when we wake up in the morning and we live our lives the way we typically do, and we don't have this in mind. We forget from where we've come. Right, you know, when the orphan gets adopted into a family, everything doesn't have to be perfect because in that moment, I belong somewhere, finally. Finally, I'm part of a family. Finally, there are people who are saying, you belong to me, you're mine, and I'm gonna take responsibility for you, and I'm gonna be in your life in the future. You are not alone anymore. Right, well, as Christians, that's... That's the everyday reality from where we have come. Theologically, every Christian has been adopted into the household of God. Now, what do we do with this good news? It's pretty awesome news. What do we do with it? All right, now, before I close with this little section here, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's called the same way to respond to this. Maybe you're not called to be a Noe and Grace in Cambodia or a Dean and Denise Adamek in Mexico or a Brian and Terry Roboski in New Orleans. Maybe you're not called that way. But there is in Scripture an expectation on our lives in this category. The Bible actually thinks that we're going to do something as people. And it anticipates that. So therefore it speaks about it like, Hey, how's it going as you do this? Or I'm kind of thinking you're going to be doing this. You who have received adoption, you who know what it is to be wandering in this world have been adopted into my household. Do you have any compassion for those who wander the world today? Just like you did. Interesting. James chapter one, James, who is, provides us with a theological treaty on the realities of faith because faith is effective upon us, right? Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, it's easy to say, yeah. Or does your life convince you that you're a Christian? Well, yeah, I believe I acknowledge some things about God. Yeah, 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 but, but is your life upside down, inside out, taking some risks for God? That's, that's what Christians do. That's what James argues for. Chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphans. Okay, listen, this is, this is what I, I want to arrive us at this place this morning from wherever it is that you are in this topic. Perhaps you've never even thought much about this topic. You've never thought that it has implications for you personally as a topic. But that word visit is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's epikistomai. It comes from the word skopos in the Greek, from which we get the word scope, right? It's used this way in the Old Testament translation that's in the Greek. It's, it means to visit or to look on, to investigate, to care for, to find out. Pay attention to, be aware of, go scope out the orphans. Go check them out. That, that's, that's about as far as I want to go for some people today. To just get this issue to show up on the prayer radar screen of our lives. To have a sense that God calls his people to responsibility in a world with such need in it. Can, can you just go check it out? Can you go have a look and see how... How can I be involved? How can I help? How can I consider their situation? Lord, what would you have me to do? Can I at least go as far as to ask the question? Because in the Old Testament, the description sounds like it's what's normal, right? Job, Job, when Job makes his argument before God to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm really an okay guy here. I think I've lived my life decently. And he says, you know, if I haven't, you know, hey, okay, bad news on me then. If I've withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone, right? If I've just looked out for my interest and my needs and the fatherless has not eaten of it. For, for from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father and from my mother's womb guided the widow. This was the way of life for Job. When he became aware that they were fatherless, they ate at his table. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. And by the way, Isaiah is prophesying to a people who have blown off God in 750 BC. You, you doing the math with me? God's trying to fix a broken people before they get visited by Nebuchadnezzar. That's why Isaiah shows up. You guys have blown God off. You've blown God's ways off. You don't do what God's called you to do. And God in his patience for a couple of hundred years sends prophets to warn them. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar shows up and says, you guys are out of here. You want to see what it's like to neglect orphans? 
character? How about being one? That's what they experienced. Isaiah starts his campaign. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. By the way, that's a good statement. If you're a Christian, that's two sides of the same coin. All right, it's not just one or the other. How many of us sadly have grown up in a Christianity that's just all about don't do this and don't do that. And God knows you're a Christian, don't go there. And don't go see that. Don't eat that. Don't talk like that. Don't use those words. Don't, 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 don't. Okay, well, that's just like part of the equation. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Learn. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. And this is what God was expecting from his people. It's what Jesus communicated to his disciples. Right? And this is a very famous passage in Matthew 25. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you episcoptomai, you visited me. You scoped out my situation. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you as a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. From the beginning, when Jesus talked about discipleship, You know, he didn't describe it like some American prosperity message. You know, that, that gospel, it's like, what idiot doesn't want that one? Oh, Here, whatever you're dreaming of, God's dreaming of it too. Whatever you want for your life, God wants it for you too. Who the heck doesn't want to believe in a God like that? If that's the way God is and that's the way the gospel sounds... Why would Jesus ever challenge his followers and say, are you sure you want to follow me? Well, well, if I get to have everything I want, Jesus, why even ask him? Of course. Well, no, you didn't hear me well then. The son of man's got nowhere to lay his head. The bird's got nests. I'm in this world that doesn't want me. You sure you want to follow me? You sure you want a life that's got discomfort in it in this world and only to inherit a world that knows nothing but comfort in the world to come? You you sure you're willing to give up your life that you might have life? You sure you've counted the cost of being my disciple? You know, no one goes off to war unless he first counts the cost. No one builds a building unless he first counts the cost. Discipleship has built into it. It's a risky uncomfortable thing. Listen, it's that from the beginning. It's, it's the Lord of glory standing before you and saying, you have no idea what I have planned for you, but trust your whole life to me. Give it to me completely. Unreserved. Sign the bottom of it over. Just sign it over. It's not yours anymore. It's mine completely. Boy, it doesn't get any riskier than that, does it? But that's, that's Christianity. So here's what we have before us, an opportunity in the month of November 
to scope out the orphan, to consider there are people in our world in need that sounds like Lamentations chapter 5. You and I have some incredibly good news for them. We have care for them. We have tables that they can eat at. We have lives that they can belong to. Maybe you never considered this. Maybe you never considered whether God would have you open your life to those who are outside your family that way. And there may be a variety of ways that God is leading some to consider this. You know, maybe you're a young person here, and maybe what you need to be considering is, are you, are you, you know, you're not even married, you're not, you're not in, the, in the family stage yet, but, but are, are you preparing your heart to be able to do stuff like this? Or are you preparing your life to, to live some big, fat American dream? I don't, I don't think the American dream gets well done, good and faithful servant when it arrives in heaven. I don't think it has much in it where you did it unto the least of these associated with it. You know, it's very much about doing unto me. So if you're a young person, are you thinking in that way? Are you thinking about life having value in these kinds of categories? And if we've already been infected by live life for me, live life for me, can, can God undo that in us? Can God make us to be a people who find a way to lift our eyes, to scope out the needy like this in our world and to be involved with them. It could be sacrificial giving and support and care for uh, the orphanage. It could be you considering foster care. We'll hear some about that this month, the opportunities that are in the foster care world. It could be you opening your family to adoption. And those are big things. Those are big risky things. But Christianity is big and risky. It just is. And at the end of time, we'll be glad we lived it that way. I want us to just watch a short video, two minutes, and then I'm going to pray for us. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I didn't know my father. I was alone. Helpless. Hopeless. I had no family. I didn't belong to anyone. To anyone. To anyone. I was an orphan. No one saw me. No one knew me. I was invisible. I was lost. I was lost. No one claimed me. No one said, he's mine. She's mine. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was hungry. Like all the food in the world couldn't fill me up. I was vulnerable. Unprotected, at risk. Cold, tired. 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 I thought I didn't matter. I thought no one cared. No one cared. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. But I was found. But I was found. 
I was found. Someone stepped in. Someone saw me. I was sought. Pursued. Wanted. Known. I was an orphan. But now I belong. Now I belong. Now I belong. I'm embraced. A sister. A brother. I know my father. I know my father. I know my father. I was an orphan. But I am loved. At great cost. I am restored. I am restored. And for the first time, I know that I am valued, prized, forever. 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 I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. We're all orphans. So I care for orphans. So I care for orphans. I was an orphan. So I care for orphans. Lord, in the eternal scheme of things, uh, Lord, we are in that video because we know something about being orphans and you scoped us out, Lord. You came and found us and you won us and you brought us into your family You called us by your name. You stored up for us an inheritance that's immeasurable. And it all belongs to us. And Lord, you have made our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. For we are so grateful for your care, for your pursuit, for our adoption into your family. So Lord, thank you for reminding us today of what has come to our lives, what amazing benefit and love, what redemption, what restoration. Oh, Lord, restore us to yourselves. Will you have, Lord, for which we are so grateful. And Lord, we are aware today that there are others who are in need of such restoration, Lord. There are others that the storyline that has befallen their lives is that they are an orphan, Lord, spiritually and some physically. Naturally, they are hopelessly in this world, lacking all that a family provides. And Lord, we have good news for them. And Lord, I pray and trust and hope that you would stir our hearts to have care for them that makes a difference in this world. So, Father, as we turn our attention to this need on Orphan Sunday, Lord, would you now help us to have the courage as your people to scope out the need of the orphan and to be led by you as we do that to respond however you are leading us with sacrifice and care and faith in the face of risk. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for the many who are here who live those lives amazingly, Lord, for the effect that they are having in a world full of orphans, Lord, and the sacrifices that they have made in the provoking effect they have upon our souls, Lord, in the genuine impact on 
children and on lives that they have had through the years. God, we are thankful and we are trusting that you will help us to continue to look to you and follow you in this area for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. You all have a great week.